this is Brother Jerry, the pastor here at Friendship Baptist Church, and you are about to watch one of our messages. I hope that during this time that you would prayerfully listen. I hope that the Lord speaks to you, that he uses this message to help you grow. I hope you're able to experience God. I hope you're able to connect with him and connect with our church. I hope that you're able to respond to what he's doing in your life. I hope you enjoy. May the Lord bless you during this time. Come to 
Put your hands out, God, and we reach for you today, Lord. Lord, you're mighty. You're awesome. And we thank you for what you do for us. We ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. us in a place of humility to show us that we are under his mighty hand. 
And then we look at this place where he's called Everlasting Father, a place in which shows us an eternal perspective of who God is, the Alpha, the Omega, the beautiful Everlasting Father that he is, that we then trust him, and now today, called Prince of Peace. And it puts us into this place of unity and serenity and oneness with the Father. And that's my hope today is that we would see that. Is this on? Can you all hear me back there? Yeah. Need to go up a little bit? I have a mic up here. Let me just grab this mic. There we go. Can you all hear me now? Father God, Lord, again, we come to you today, Lord, just asking for your presence, Lord. Lord, I'm so thankful for the names of Jesus, Lord, and God, uh, the video we just watched just showed us so many of those names, God. Lord, they showed us uh, uh, all the names from the beginning to the end, this promise that's been given to us, Lord, and we just uh, are so thankful, God, for that. Lord, help us this morning as we dig into your word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You don't realize Satan's really against us. Just <laughs> so I'm just going to speak extra loud this morning. And so again, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. And when you think about this idea that he is the Prince of Peace, what does that mean? And as I thought about coming to this passage this year, at the end of this year, it made so much sense to me. I got so much encouragement thinking about how much more appropriate could it get than this, that we are ending our year of 2020 of the madness, the chaos, everything that we've seen in 2020 with a message of peace, a message from the Prince of Peace, in fact. And so as we look at this, I'll just thank the Lord for this. The word Prince of Peace, or the words Prince of Peace in Hebrew are Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. Sar is this word that means prince, but it's not like the prince that we get in our mind. It's not the son of a king. This connotation here, the idea in the Hebrew language, is a ruler. He is the head man, the one in charge. He is the Lord. He is the head person, captain, governor, might be some other words. And that's what the word Sar means, the one in charge. In fact, when you look at Roman history, Romans had the same kind of idea and used the same word in a sense, the, the word Caesar. Caesar is how we say it, but it comes from Sar, that same word that means ruler. Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. You have all these uh, names in which were their leaders. They were the head guy. So Jesus is the Sar Shalom, the head guy of peace, the governor, the prince of peace. And so when you look at Shalom, that means peace, but it's this rich and powerful concept, really. It means wholeness. It means complete. It means this perfection, almost, the sense of bringing us to a, a well-being. And so when you see this promise here, it says to us that he is the prince of peace. He is the captain, the governor, the leader, the Lord of this rich idea of being made whole. Let that sink in this morning, church. Being made whole, being made complete. When you have the lack of peace in your life, you feel the furthest from being complete. Can I get an amen, church? You feel incomplete. You feel like chaotic. You feel crazy. And so you need peace in your life. It makes us whole. And the, the idea that I found as I started walking through the scriptures, really God's mission, including Jesus from the very beginning, has always been a message of peace. From the very beginning, we see this idea of peace being, being proclaimed, being promised. Psalms 85.8 says that he promises peace to his people. Then if you go to Luke chapter 1, in fact, we read some of these. I didn't know they were going to read some of them. We 
read some of these very uh, passages this morning before our songs. Luke 1, 76 says, and this is the, uh, Zacharias, he's prophesying about his son, John the Baptist. And here's what he says. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge and salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, church. John the Baptist's role was to guide us to the way of peace, more so guide us to the person of Peace being Jesus Christ. If you remember Luke chapter 2, verse 14, if you got to come to the Christmas Eve service, oh, what a special time that was. I just had so much fun. I always do every year, and, and we had some extra help with Sebastian this year, so I'm so thankful for that. But we looked at the, the story of, of Christ through the shepherd's eyes. And if you remember when the shepherds were roaming their fields and watching their flock, there was a statement that was made to them, and it said that there was peace on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest, but on earth, peace. And goodwill toward men. There we go. Oh, I'll have a voice after this morning. Peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you all back there. John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So John, I mean Jesus in the Gospel of John, at the end, as he's going through his life, at the end he's addressing the disciples close to the very end. And he says, I give you peace. Not as the world gives, I give you peace. In fact, John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then, if you remember Jesus as he's walking into Jerusalem, the Via de Riosa, the way of the suffering, the way of death, as he's walking to the cross, he looks before he goes into Jerusalem and he weeps. And why does he weep? He says in Luke 19, verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in every side, and level you and your children within you into the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What does Jesus say? He weeps and says, if you had known the things that make for your peace, the things that bring you peace, it's me, the Prince of Peace, that is entering in that you're about to rebel and, 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 and hang on the cross. He says, it's me. You're, you missed your day of visitation, he says. John 20, after the resurrection, he comes in and it says, John 20, verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus again said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He says, Peace be to you. Peace. 
Romans 10 says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? You remember the whole passage where he says, how, how are they saved? Well, they're saved by hearing the word of God. How do they hear the word of God unless they have a preacher? How do they have a preacher unless one is sent? And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of joy, of good things. It's clear here this morning, church, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen, church? Amen. He is the Prince of Peace. What I want to spend the rest of my time on this morning is examining this idea of, of when does it go from him being the Prince of Peace to being your Prince of Peace? Because he's the Prince of Peace. There's no denying it. In fact, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It is undeniable that he is the Prince of Peace. But when does he become your Prince of Peace? And that's the question that I want to examine this morning with you. And so if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to spend the rest of the time there. Amen. You there, John? Everybody else there? If you're there, say Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. The first point that I want us to get to this morning is again, how does he become your Prince of Peace? Here it is. Number one, he becomes your Prince of Peace by bringing you peace while you are far from God. He brings you peace while you are far from God. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Again, if you're there, say amen. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the ones called the circumcision by in the way made by hands, by flesh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Up to this point, church, we've been looking at this idea of this promise given by Isaiah, really from the Israeli perspective. We've been looking at this promise that's been promised long ago and the fact that they awaited this Messiah, this long-awaited promise. We just sung about it. But this passage is going to address this uh, promise a little differently. In fact, it's going to address it from the perspective of the Gentiles, which are the non-Jewish people, which are most of us in here. I don't see anybody that I think is Jewish this morning. So most of us would consider ourselves Gentiles in this sense. And so he says, essentially, he says, look, you who are Gentiles called uncircumcised by the Jews. He says, by the way, they're circumcised by the way of flesh, not by the way of God. And so he makes that kind of stab there, that point. He says, but you Gentiles, and then he's going to address them. And he pretty much is saying, remember who you were before God. Remember who you were apart from Christ. Remember who you were in the place before the Prince of Peace showed up in your life. I think that's a good reminder for us, church, to slow down this morning and just to think, who were we without Jesus? I mean, we spent this whole month building up to this beautiful Christmas day where we celebrate the manger, Jesus coming, and then the fact that, that he has brought salvation in our lives. But the real joy in that really comes when you remember what salvation wasn't like before you had salvation, before Jesus, the Prince of Peace, showed up in your life. What were you like then? And he says here, we were lost. Look at what he says here. Before this peace, you are without Christ. You see it in verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ. It's important for us to recognize that there was a time that we were without Jesus. That we were without him. And I just need to make that clear because I think sometimes we get in this thought process of, I've just always had Jesus. Jesus. 
I just always have had them. And, and, and it can be close to the truth. You can, you can grow up in a town and in a home where Jesus was talked about, where the parents were devoted and, and followed Christ and they taught you strong biblical um, um, values and, and even taught you about Jesus. You could have grew up in a Christian home. You could have, have, have had all of that. But the truth is, is, as we say it, God doesn't have grandchildren, right? He has sons and daughters. In fact, he has adopted sons and daughters who become co-heirs with the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And so my point this morning, as I'm talking through this, is, is that if there was an adopt, if we're adopted, then that means there was an adoption. Praise God for adoption. Praise God that there was a sweet time in which the grace of God intervened in your life and showed you that you were a sinner, that you were far from God, that you were without Christ and showed you that all you do is through faith call on the name of Jesus and you shall be saved by the grace of God. Isn't that a blessing, church? That's adoption. The first half of chapter 2, the first 10 verses there, is actually Paul walking through this whole idea of this miracle that happens through the adoption process as God literally took us and made us alive while we were dead in trespasses or in our sins. He made us alive. It says that we were saved by grace. It was by grace you were saved. He says, and then through faith, that it wasn't anything of your own doing or you would boast about it. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ Jesus. He walks through that. So without the Prince of Peace, you are without Christ. None of us in here this morning was born a Christian. Did you hear me, church? And so if there's anyone thinking, I just was kind of born as a Christian, I want you to listen very well this morning. Because God might be calling you into a place, into that sweet adoption. Looking at Susan and Dwayne, I remember when they adopted their daughter. It was such a, they got a video of it. It's a beautiful moment. When Jesus adopts us, it's a beautiful moment, church. Amen? Amen. We were without Christ. Before this peace, you are a stranger from the covenant. You hear it in verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. Let that sink in for a minute. Without the Prince of Peace, you were an alien. What's he saying? You were a foreigner, foreign to the concept of, 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 of really the promise of God, the covenant promise. And if you think about the covenant, we have a covenant God who, who from the very beginning has made this promise to us. We already heard it as we were singing about it. This covenant promise in which he essentially says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. That's been the promise since the beginning. He will be our God and we will be his people. And he will dwell among us. But he says... You were foreign from that. You were a stranger to this. This was a foreign concept. It is not your reality. You don't have the hope of God bringing you back into community with God because you are foreign, a stranger to this. You have no hope of intimacy with God. He goes on and says, therefore, before the, this peace, you are hopeless without the awareness of God. It says that. Verse 12 again, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time in our life that we were hopeless, church. You say, why are we talking about this this morning? Well, what were we rescued from, church? What were we saved from? We were saved from a place of hopelessness. 
from a place of despair. And, and, and it's not that God wasn't there. It's that you either didn't know God or you didn't trust Him. Either one leads to a place of hopelessness. He says you were hopeless without hope. And there was a time that no matter what you did, what you thought, what you desired, you were left hopeless. Am I ringing any bells or are any of us testifying with this thought? We were left hopeless. Maybe today you find yourself feeling hopeless, church. I want to speak to you. I want to speak to your heart right now. Do you find yourself hopeless this morning? Maybe you've tried to do everything you can to, to get yourself out of this hopelessness, but it never fails. It comes back to the same place. Maybe you try to think your way out of it and you think of all the other things or you desire your way, you desire other things, but at the end of the day, here you are sitting in this pew, hopeless. Far from God. The truth is that is the place that every one of us has been, church. Whether we recognize that or not in our nature, we are completely hopeless without Jesus. We are far from God. But it is Christ, it is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who anchors us to the most beautiful hope in the whole wide world. And so church, you who are listening, that are feeling hopeless, you know your own heart. I want to speak to it. Listen to the words of God as he calls you out of a hopeless place and gives you a hope to anchor your life to. In fact, that's the next passage. It's kind of got these three different sections. He says, this is who you were. And then he's going to go into what Christ does about that. And so my second point this morning is he becomes your prince of peace by being himself our peace who has brought us into this peace with God and one another through the cross. I know it's wordy, but it's so deep in doctrine and deep and enriching in what God wants to communicate to you today. He becomes himself our peace. Think about that for a moment, church. He himself is our peace, and he's given us and brought that peace to us with God and with one another. And I want to walk through that. Look at the verse 13 with me. If you're there, say amen. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you were once who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You remember the scripture, I think it was Tammy that was reading. She was talking about the promise at the very beginning, Genesis 3.15. But because of the fall, enmity was put there. Because of sin, there was enmity. But the flesh of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, abolishes enmity, church. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we have both to have access by one spirit to the Father. So what do I see in this passage? I see that he made peace for you through the cross to make us one, essentially, to make us one, unity. He himself is our peace. Without Jesus Christ, we would have no peace, church. None. We might have things that, that we, we put in place to try to fill that hole, 
But at the end of the day, it's going to continue to leave you hopeless and incomplete because Christ is the Prince of Peace who brings in completeness, wholeness that we talked about at the beginning. And he brought this through the cross. As we look at this cross, I love the red light on there because it reminds me of the blood Jesus shed. The blood that he shed for me and for you on the cross. The fact that that is a price that it costed for me and you to have peace. Let that be a reminder, church. Verse 16 says that we are reconciled to God in one body. Not only were we given peace toward God, but also toward one another. And I love this passage as it brings out that that beautiful picture of not just with God, but one another. And, And this is the message that we need to hear today. Again, by God's providence, he's given us a message of peace because we live in a world of rivalries, don't we? Lots of rivalries. I mean, from the simplest things to the, the hardest things. I mean, it's Republican versus Democrat. It's iPhone versus Android. It's North versus South, Coke versus Pepsi, Auburn versus Alabama. And then you, you can go on and on. All these that are just head to head with each other. And then eventually you get into some rivalries that literally lead to blood. Because of the hostility that is in the midst of it. And we've even seen that this year. Hostility that's between one another. Cultural, racial, um, religious, whatever it may be. There's hostility that we have between one another. But that's not anything new, church. That's been around since the beginning of time. Since the fall, we've seen enmity. We've seen hostility with one another. And that was true as Paul wrote this. He is talking about two groups, rivals. And there's a deep, complex, hostile rivalry between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was a religious rivalry. The Jews knew God and the Gentiles did not. It was a cultural rivalry. They had rituals and and feasts and all the different things that they would do. Um, The Jews would, but the Gentiles would not. You had a a racial rivalry because the Jews uh, claimed that they had in their veins the same blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was flowing through them. They were proud of that. It was through that blood that the promise of Jesus would come. We, we see that throughout it. And so there's, there's racial, cultural, there's um, religious, all kinds of hostility that was there. Yet, through the cross of Christ, yet through the Prince of Peace Church, yet through Him being the bringer of peace, we see peace through the Jews and the Gentiles. The wall of separation, it says, has come down. Not only did they become friends, but they became one body. Let that sink in, church, that they were one body, that, that the wall of separation has come down, that hostility is abolished through the flesh. Church, if you want to see God really working somewhere, if you want to see the gospel lived out, I'll tell you what to look for. Look for places where the walls of separation have been torn down. Look for places where there is sweet unity, true unity. Jesus says this is his greatest witness. And when we love one another as he has loved us, he made peace through you, for you, through the cross in order to make us one. Let me break it down just another simple way here. It is through the cross that we have peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God gives us this access to God. This idea of him becoming available to us and and, and us being able to commune with God. Salvation brings that about. We were far off and hopeless, but now we are one with him. We can now have intimacy because of our mediator, the Prince of Peace. We, We have peace with God. But then there's another side of this coin. We have peace of God. 
The peace of God is, is something that's also brought by salvation. It's brought by sanctification. In fact, it's something in which He starts gearing you and through the Spirit transforming you to where you think like Jesus, where you act like Jesus, where your desires are like Jesus, where you become more and more like Jesus. And that in, in and of itself gives you the mind of Christ. Like Philippians 2 says, put on this mind of Christ. One of humility, and then it's that passage that says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's right beside each other. It's fact that we put on the mind of Christ. So we see this picture of, of him being himself our peace and brought it into peace to us with God and one another through the cross. But the third point that I want us to see this morning is this. He becomes your Prince of Peace by giving you a peace that has transformed you and bound you in the unity of the Spirit. He is giving you a peace that transforms us. Look at verse 19 with me. If you're there, say amen. amen. Verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. In the spirit. What is he telling us here? He's telling us that we had to be transformed to be able to unite with the presence of God. For us to commune with God, we had to be transformed. And this has been the story since the whole beginning, since the very beginning, since Genesis 1. This has been the story where God wanted to commune with us. He wanted to unite with us, to, to have relationship with us. But then sin enters in the world. We rebel and we fall from the glory of God. We fall short from the glory of God. And from that point on, we see just how short we truly did fall from the glory of God. And we saw that because of that, we had a holy God and an unholy people. And no longer is a holy God and an unholy people able to commune together the way God designed, the way God desired for it to happen. There was a, a break in that. There was a bridge. There was a wall of separation. However, God makes a covenant. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. Wait a second, Lord. You're still holy and we're still unholy. And you're making a promise to dwell with us, to be our God. How does that work? Therefore, it's in that place that God sends his son, whom he loves because of the world that he loves. So that son can then reconcile the unholy sinners that we are. It's in that coming that he who knew no sin became sin. What does that mean, church? It is in that place in which God fulfills his covenant, his promise to us, in which he says, I am holy and you are unholy, but because I want to commune with you, I'm going to break that wall of separation. I'm going to tear it down, destroy that enmity, and I'm going to put on the flesh of man. He says, not only the flesh of man, but I'm still 100% God. I'm still 100% God, which makes me able to live a sinless life without the curse of sin. He says, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm able to do that, but I want to become 100% man as well so that I can take the wrath of sin on myself and that I may be a suitable substitute for you. Y'all realize that's why Jesus became man? 
That's why we celebrate Christmas is because he put on flesh so that his flesh could go in the place of our flesh. That's the message of Jesus, of Christmas. And then he does that very thing. He's crucified. He's killed. He breathes his last breath. He's, he's buried. He's put into a tomb. And three days later, then he shows and claims victory over death by raising from the grave three days later. What a blessing, church. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, then we have atonement. We are brought in one with God. We are brought into his presence, a fulfillment of his covenant. He transforms us and he makes us new. Listen to what Paul said in these verses again, 19 through 22. May you hear them in your heart. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. He says you were transformed. To become a dwelling place of God. He says you're transformed from foreigners to citizens of God's kingdom. Remember, you were apart from God. You were strangers, but now you're citizens. You're citizens. You were transformed from strangers to becoming family. As a household of God, he says. You went from a stranger to family. Church, you were strangers, unaware of God, unaware of his people. Now, through the cross, your family, we are family, church. As we start 2021 next year, may this ring so true that God brings us together as a family and that he may be exalted within that family and that he may be glorified within that family. And that family is about the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Can we do that, church? That's going to take intentionality. It's going to take work. It's not just coming here and sitting in pews. It's not just me preaching and you listening. It's not just the fact of, of coming to Sunday school even. You see, it's going to take intentionality in which we live life with each other. It's going to take intentionality in which we ask each other hard questions about what they're struggling with and how we can help and how we can encourage. It's going to take intentionality where you just show up on the doorstep of each other's houses. It's going to take intentionality where we're in living rooms with one another. It's going to take intentionality where we're praying together one-on-one -on -one and then one-on-few. And it's not just happening up here, church. Are y'all ready for such a thing? I'm ready. Ready. Listen to what it says. Again, transformed from a place far off from God to the dwelling place of God in the spirit. What a blessing. Catch this, though. We together make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We together make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that I try to communicate often because it just blew my mind away when, when God showed me this, that it's not just about my body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just about me um, taking care of that temple. It's about us as a whole church, as a body of believers taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. We together as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, make up the temple of God, church. The way I care about my temple should be the same way I care about your temple. Because we are one temple, we are one body church. It takes intentionality. We are fit together. 
Did you hear it? Fitted together. He's building us together. Don't realize that you're just not here because God just threw some stones together. He didn't just throw us in one place and say good luck. He fit us together as a body of Christ. He said, here you go, Beverly. You're going to fit right in here. I got something for you. I know what I want you to do here. I'm going to put you on that mission. He said, Charlotte, do that. You're fit together in this place. David, you're fit together in this place. We are fit together as brothers and sisters in Christ. What a blessing that is, church. Y'all realize we have some new people that have been coming to our church that have wanting to join and have joined. You know, God is bringing them to fit them together with us. Praise God, church. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a blessing. We should see our church as a blessing from the Lord. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about its programs. I'm not even talking about its services or its ministries. I'm talking about the body of believers, the groups of brothers and sisters that we are. People talk about following Jesus apart from the church. I just want to hit on this just for a moment because that's not the way God designed it. And we have people that are part of our church, that are brothers and sisters in Christ. I know this year is tough with Corona, and I understand that people are staying home, and I, I, I even encourage it at, at certain ages and different things. I get it. I understand. But we, for years, have had people in our body that are not faithful to gathering together. And that takes intentionality from us, not in hatred or not in, in hostility, but in love to say, hey, God is desiring us to be together. What's, what's going on here? It's been the way it's been all through the New Testament as we see it. I mean, to be a, a, a Christian not in a church is like to be a stone not in a building. Or to be a, a, a sister or a brother separated from their family. It just doesn't make sense, church. From the time of the New Testament on, we see that the members of the church were identifiable. They, they were counted and, and, and who were added to them. They were encouraged and exhorted. They were, they were able to enact church discipline. They sought out who to appoint as elders and, and deacons. They, they sought out to do that as a body together. They, it says that overseers will give an account for those that are under them. And therefore, there are people that are subject and under the authority of the elders. And so there's all this picture of membership in the New Testament church. We're not just a universal church. Yes, there is a thing. It exists and praise God for the universal church. But he has called us into local bodies and to be faithful in that. Amen, church? It is an incredible gift of God's grace to belong to a faith family. It's a gift to stir one another up to good works and good deeds. It's a gift of God's grace to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's a gift to carry burdens of one another. It's a gift to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. It's a gift to financially cooperatively give and to the furtherance of God's kingdom. It is a gift to come to the communion table and take of the Lord's Supper together. It is a gift to be a part of a faith family church. Let me remind you, Jesus brings peace to those who are far from God. He himself is our peace and made that possible through the cross. And he gives that peace and transforms us so that he may dwell with us. Church, do you know Jesus is your Prince of Peace? That's my question today. Do you know Jesus as your Prince of Peace? Not as the Prince of Peace, but do you know him as your Prince of Peace? Because he has brought peace. He has given peace and he himself is peace. But maybe you're here today to say, I know that he's the Prince of Peace, but I am 
Christ. I am far from him. I am hopeless this morning. Is that you today? Because it's in that place he says, here I am through the cross, ready to become your Prince of Peace, to give you peace, to make you whole by the grace of God through faith in me. If that's something he's saying to you right now, and you say, I'm just so overwhelmed, I don't even know how to fathom it. Well, none of us really know how to fathom it. I get it. But if you want someone to walk through that and pray with you and to seek the Lord together and, and to say, what does it look like to become a Christian? What does it look like to be a, a follower of Christ? What does it mean for him to be my Prince of Peace? I'm here this morning to walk through that with you. But maybe you just need the peace of God today. And you're struggling with having the mind of Christ. You're struggling with whatever it may be, whatever situation you're in, and you're saying, I'm not thinking like Jesus. And you just want a brother or a sister to, to pray with you and say, will you help me put on the mind of Christ? I'm struggling. I need some encouragement from a brother or from a sister. Would we pray together like that? Would we be that faith family together, church? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are wonderful, Lord. You are mighty. You are everlasting, Lord. You are our counselor, and you are our prince of peace. God, you are the governor, the leader of peace, Lord. You distribute peace. You yourself are peace, Lord. And today, I just believe in my heart that there's someone in here that needs to be at peace with you, God. That they know they're far from you, Lord. It may not look like it to the rest of the world. They're sitting here in a pew, Lord, and they've walked through this and they've listened intently, but in their heart, they're far from you. Lord, would you grab a hold of that heart and transform it so that the dwelling of God, that you're dwelling, could be placed into that heart this morning? Lord, would you bring about yourself in a mighty way into the presence of this room, Lord, but more so in the presence of our hearts? Lord, would you help us be the temple of the Holy Spirit together, united as one body, Lord? Lord, give us peace with you if we don't have it, and give us the peace of God. Lord, we each need that thing. Lord, we surrender to you this morning as we close out the year 2021, Lord. I mean, we close out the year 2020, and we come into 2020. May our hearts be right with you. May we find peace with you, and may we have your peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 You will stand. Sam is going to continue to play. Just keep that tape on the message out of the If you need to come see Brother Jay, please do so, man. Me or whoever, I'll pray with anybody.
Church, I love you. I'm so appreciative of the faith family that we have. Would you uh, continue to pray with me for our family? That we would truly and genuinely worship the King of Kings. That we would truly and genuinely seek to see his kingdom further. That our missions this next year would be astounding, not for our glory, but for his alone. That our intentionality in our homes and our families and the way we minister and the way we raise our children would even look a little different this year by the grace of God. That the way that we um, see one another and interact with one another and it would be less superficial and more genuine. Can you all pray that that would happen this year? David, would you close us in a word of prayer, brother? And remember, um, no service tonight, no service Wednesday night. Spend intentional time with your family or maybe with one another, however you want to do that. And uh, I'll see you next Sunday. And if you would close us, brother. Thank you.